Welcome to Tiger Pops Podcast, a place to dissect, analyze, and swoon over the webtoon Midnight Poppyland. Every week, we'll go through another episode and break down character development, relationship regression, plot, symbolism, body language, and more. And of course, we'll be bringing out those tinfoil hats for some theory time. Every week, we'll be joined by sharp-witted, detail-obsessed, and dare I say, thirsty fans ready to tackle the latest gem. Let the analysis begin. Episode 13 of Tiger Pops. And today we're joined by Patty and Rebecca, who have been on before, but I'll let them say a quick hi. Hi, all. This is Patty. Um, I, like um, Mindy was saying, I've been on the podcast before. I'm 35. I live in Oklahoma. I'm a counselor, married. I got two dogs. Um, and I just wanted to say my favorite character is Erdine because she's super sassy. <laughs> Uh, hi, my name is Rebecca. I'm 45 and based in Germany. I work as a translator um, from German to English. And um, I'm not sure I have a favorite character yet. Uh, possibly Tora, but more in uh, relate to the way that he is rather than, uh, you know, as a, as a, you know, love interest for myself per se um yeah not not really my thing in that way but um I find it very relatable interesting yeah I guess um I mean I would have to be cliche-ish and I guess say my favorite character is Tora but Mm -hmm. I also recognize I don't think we could ever be in a relationship mafia or no mafia he's a little too tough for me (laughs) I don't know no listen maybe you know you have to find out. I don't know. <laughs> shall see. Um, I, I still have a feeling there's a lot underneath the surface that we haven't seen yet. Hmm. Okay, let's see what, what this episode unearthed us about Torah. righty. Okay, so this episode, let's do a quick recap of, uh, of the last episode. In the last episode, Quincy and Torah are roughing up Mr. Morrison. And we end with the revelation of who Quincy is. He tells, and that's how where we start off this episode as well. Quincy tells him, you know, my pen name is Cubinioco, but his real name is Baltimore. And then we see this look of terror on Mr. Morrison's face. His eyes open wide and he's like, oh, shizzle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and what's really, I love this because I I know we talked about this before, but I was so judgmental of Quincy when we first met him. I was like, who is this guy? And who does he think he is ordering Tora around like that? Like, I know he's technically his boss, but at the same time, I'm like, you got to be a dick about it, really? Um, and just the way that he treated him in the last episode, kind of like he's a dog. And he still kind of keeps that facade going here. Um, but it also, like... This is, and I'll, I'll say this a little bit later in the episode, but this is the episode where I actually fell in love with Quincy. Um, but, you know, he's definitely got that um, Daddy Vincent vibe going on here. So he's really good. <laughs> yeah, 100%. He looks, he looks a lot like him as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, like, gorgeous blonde hair. And, I mean, you know, this very calm demeanor. And, you know, it's interesting. There's also like this shot, not just of Quincy, but you see Torah included as well. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's just a reminder of like that he's the muscle there and he's still constantly intimidating Mr. Morrison. Yeah. But also, 
you know, as a, like a reminder, like, okay, you know, this is, he's part of the, the Bolt Human organization as well. Mm-hmm. And he's just so impassive right there. He, he just, he's definitely, like I've said this before, but he's definitely in work mode right now and you cannot read his face. That's the thing mm-hmm. that cracks me up about when he's in work mode. It's like, I, of course, you know, I read facial expressions, right? And I'm sitting there like, what is going through his head? What's going on? And like, he only had just in the last episode, like very minute differences in his facial expressions. Um, but right here, he's just so blank. And I'm like, what is going through your head? Right. And if Patty, the therapist can't figure it out, he's really good <laughs> at disguising it. <laughs> good luck. Good luck to you all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now, um, sorry, my, my I'm scrolling with the computer now, which is much slower. And Mr. Morrison is, he literally like stammers like Quincy Baltiuman from the Balt, the heir to the Baltiuman organization. So it's not just like, oh, you're a member of the Baltiuman organization. He's the heir to the Baltiuman organization. Mm-hmm. And Quincy, you know, he takes that. He's like in the flesh. And there's this, this panel here where you really see the power dynamics because, you know, Mr. Morrison, the CEO is now humbled and he's on his knees in between these two powerful men, one physically powerful and one powerful in name. Yeah. And this is like a very telling portrait of his diminishing in power. Yeah. And you can even tell with the lighting here what um, Lily did. She's she's got him kind of in the dark and she also kept Torah in the dark on this one. But Quincy, he's very lit up. He's very bright. Um, and so I I gut I, I was interested in that contrast and and how he's kind of portrayed again it reminded me a little bit of when i brought up the the dark and the light when we met vincent for the first time and how his his lighting was just very warm very um bright and we're seeing a little bit of that here but it's still very cool toned right yeah i think that's a very good point yeah. And the, the way the employees react shows that they know what the volume of the organization is and how dangerous it is because, yeah. you know, they're like, Mr. Morse is done for. It's one of the most powerful crime syndicates in the region, which is also interesting that by, <laughs> Poppy doesn't recognize the volume name at all. You know, you yeah. can tell she's a real innocent, sheltered country girl. Like mm-hmm. these employees know right away what the Baltimore organization is. Yeah. And this this may mean that I'm a terrible person, but I laughed my ass off at this part. I was like, they're so scared. <laughs> like they're all just sitting there. They're very um, their their comportment. They're you would think that they're board members of this organization and they're all just sweating bullets and. I'm sorry. I'm I'm a terrible, horrible human being, and I just laughed my butt off at this. <laughs> well, it is it is pretty funny, um, but it's also the contrast between you know these are clearly office workers and confronted with physical violence. Mm-hmm. They just don't have anything to you know any any recourse, any action that they know about. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously they're not, they're not going to run. They're not going to fight. So all that's left to them is to, um, you know, sit there and, and kind of take it in. And, uh, you know, I think they're also quite shocked because it's an unusual experience for them. Oh, yeah, for sure. The, these people wouldn't know uh, the underbelly of Narian City if it slapped them in the face. <laughs> right. <laughs> what it's literally doing here. Um, and, of course, you know, because they are in publishing, they, you know, they have an idea of, what the organization is, what it does, uh-huh. you know, no doubt they're, they're, you know, privy to at least, um, you know, industry gossip about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I can imagine that makes them, you know, potentially even more afraid 
than somebody who only has vague knowledge of them. All right, that's a good point. And they say something, you know, relating to their, their profession, they, one employee asks, like, hasn't anyone done a background check on Quincy? And the other right. one says, <laughs> well, almost a more than cared about was Quincy bringing in tons of money for us. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. First mm-hmm. of all, the fact that Quincy is so successful at this age. So we know Tora is about to be 26 and Quincy is a little bit younger than him. Yeah. But, you know, so that's to achieve that level of success at that young age in his early 20s is pretty remarkable. Yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Especially in writing, when you think it's it's so hard to bust through um, the entertainment industry at all because it's very finicky and, and you know pleasing everyone is definitely difficult. Um, so I kind of wonder, like, I mean, I know I know we find out later what the type of um, stuff that he writes, but uh, it kind of makes me wonder, like, how did he get a start with it? Oh, <laughs> and who who is his audience? One wonders. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here's a big hint: it's the entire fandom. <laughs> yeah, we we buy his books in a flash, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you see here some more characterization about Mr. Morrison is that Mr. Morrison was so eager to just earn money off Quincy, he wasn't doing you know following proper protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, indicating us to us as greed. And now Mr. Morrison realizes that Quincy must be telling the truth because otherwise he wouldn't throw his name around. And um, Quincy responds, you know, with again with his totally cool demeanor, arms crossed. He has also that impassivity that Torah has often, mm-hmm. but and he just tells him, "This is like one line. You didn't fire me, I fired you. <laughs> That's it. Yep. That's all he wanted to say. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like so, all yeah. of this, you know, having having his face like smashed into the desk, being thrown onto his knees. All of this was just so Quincy could protect his reputation. <laughs> right he is." Little Miss Drama Queen over and over, this little boy. Mm-hmm. He really is. He really is. But I, that's obviously, you know, you don't want somebody who's like this all the time in your life. But, you know, in comic form, I'm totally willing to accept it. And I just, I adore him to pieces. And <laughs> you all will find out more as the comic goes on why I adore him. Right. So, um, I, you know, I take your point about him being extra, but I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, caring about reputation is probably also something that he's learned from his father. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. It's, you know, it's my impression that that is one of the ways in which um, gangs kind of exert their dominance. That's is, very true. You know, via their reputation which obviously must be maintained at all costs and you must never come across as the as the weaker party in any confrontation right so um you know yes okay his pride is hurt fair enough but uh you know i think he's also very much keyed into the sort of power dynamics there absolutely and and you know what's again it just i get some serious bde from uh Quincy here in this whole lot um which makes the latter part of the episode all the more hilarious but but like it it was the first time where you know when I really looked back on it after reading all of the episodes that we have that he really has the potential to become like his dad you know yes he's he's a total sweetheart and a total being and I love him to death 
but he will always have that potential to be like his father. Right. So that's interesting. I, I do wonder that. And I feel like we could probably talk about it a little bit later, mm-hmm. but I, I, w- I really wonder that to myself, like how far can Quincy go and what is he really, and how much did his dad influence him and what, you know, like you said, like we see the, we see the soft side of him, but mm-hmm. having been raised by his dad and being around that environment, no matter how precious you are inside that hundred percent has an effect on you. So I really do wonder how yeah. it's just he's capable of being. For sure. You know. We've definitely seen two different sides of Torah. We've definitely seen two different sides of Poppy. Um, and I would argue that as, as time goes on, we're going to see more of that. Mm. Mm. Well, we, we all hope so. We have like certain expectations for how the plot will play out and we, we really hope Quincy will be a big part of that. So mm-hmm. he'll need more of a backbone to do the things we hope he will do. Yes. Yeah. Anywho, episode 13, we're, we're up to episode four, almost 43 this weekend, but it's always like mm-hmm. once we catch up, we won't have any of this like forward play, backwards play. But for now, we're trying not to feel too much. But Mr. Morrison is shocked that that's all that Quincy wants. He's like, there's literally a panel of just him looking in shock and he's like, what? That's all he wanted to say. And yeah, and that's it. Quincy says, let's go, Torah. I'm done wasting my time here. Again, you know, showing that dismissive disrespect to Mr. Morrison, showing him that he doesn't need him. Mm-hmm. And what one of the things that catches me about this is it, we're, we're hearing Mr. Morrison's internal thoughts. And like, do you see how quickly he goes from, oh, well, that's all that this was? Oh, maybe I can make this an opportunity for myself. Like trying to put yeah. in a good word for himself with Vincent. And I'm like, dude, your greed is unsurmountable. Like this is ridiculous. And, you know, when, when he tells them to stop and wait and like, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but the consequences that he faces because he did this, I'm just like, dude, you're reaping what you sow. Um, because he could have just left it. They would have left. Nothing else would have happened. Right. And we find out as we scroll through and he says, stop and wait. Um, he's like, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe I can, uh, maybe you can put in a good word with your dad. You can rejoin the company. I know you like working here. So he's like desperate to try to get him back to kind of reel him back in. And they stop. And Quincy, this next bit, he's like, oh, don't worry about that. I'm over it now. So, like, total, again, like, I, I don't care about what you have to say or what you think. I'm over that. But, hey, you know, good thing you stopped me because I forgot about this. So he has a direct consequence now because he, of his greed. And I think that's what Quincy caught on to here. Because then he goes into, I hope you have good insurance and for your factories and your warehouses, because you're going to need them in two hours time. I'm like, well, guess, uh, you know, I guess, you know, you're again, you're reaping what you sow here, Mr. Morrison, because you could have just let it go. And he just didn't. Right. And I think, you know, he's showing here the same lack of being able to read the situation that he showed throughout the episode. He, he just can't keep his mouth shut. He can't mm-hmm. control his impulses. Yeah. And this panel um, where Quincy turns around, where both him and Tora turn around, I was like, oh, my God, that look. <laughs> like, I'm totally having a fangirl moment here because I was like, <laughs> damn, Quincy. <laughs> so yep. needless to say, that's one of my favorite panels of the comic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always wonder, by the way, we don't really get um, any 
any information later on whether or not anything actually happened to Mr. Morrison's home and factories and warehouses. Right. I was wonder if Quincy followed through with this, which he, if he's going to be consistent and intimidating, he should. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Yeah. Cause you, you can't go back on something like that. You can't make a grand threat like that and not follow through on it. And I think, I think we do actually find out what happens. It's, it, I believe it's mentioned in passing in a later episode. Um, but it's, it's mentioned by, I think, Erdine and Jacob, but it's, a little oh yeah. Hmm. Okay. I do remember something. I guess we'll get to it when you get to it. So, and Mr. Morrison, you know, is standing there like looking like, oh shoot, you know, <laughs> and Mr. Morrison has this, like, there's a close up of his zoomed up shocked face sweating. And then he appears to have collapsed because his co- his employees, I say, oh no, Mr. Morrison, is it a cardiac arrest? And they think that he just passed out from shock and they suggest calling the police, but then they say, that's the Baltimore organization we're talking about. I think he'll need the military to protect him now, which just shows you the level of crazy that the ball human organization is right and and if i think back to when we were talking about that episode where this where's the there's the flashback of torah being arrested i remember saying that you know this, these look like swat they're not just your yeah. standard block cops and so it makes sense that you know again we're getting another um little easter egg here from lily saying you know this is a very dangerous organization Right. And it, it works pretty well as exposition, um, you know, kind of wrapped into a bit of storyline um, so that, you know, we understand as readers exactly what Quincy and um, Tora are involved in. Um, and, you know, to sort of understand the seriousness of what it is they do for work. Right. And it's so it's so serious that the employees feel they have to get a new job just by nature of like being in that room or working for that company they feel that they're done like they won't have any future there yeah and and the funny thing is they you know one of them says i've been looking for an excuse to leave seems like it wasn't that pleasant of an environment to begin with which not surprising right with a boss like that you know (laughs) yeah because if he treats one one employee that way he's likely to treat them all in the same manner if he treats the star employee that way right no kidding no kidding and, uh, you know, also, you know, both in the last episode and in this one, you know, his constant display of greed and his constant, uh, you know, lack of taking responsibility, trying to blame other people for what is happening, um, you know, trying to make his problems other people's problems. You know, none of that adds up to a particularly great boss, really. Right. So. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know the meaning of the word leader. No, he does not. oh boy so now we get to probably your favorite part so I'll let you take it away (laughs) okay so I love this I cackled for a good like minute or two when I first read this I still laugh my butt off when I read it yep same Vincy is totally shook he's barfing into a trash can (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's and you know Tora's just standing there like he's totally fucking bored he's <laughs> just like what are you doing uh just parking lot. he couldn't even hold himself farther than the parking lot yeah yeah the, 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 I'm surprised he made it that far because you know I'm, I'm wondering like how much acting was he doing and how far did he have to push himself and, he, and even he even says like Jesus dude like I told you to rough him up a little not break his damn jaw <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, just, I love seeing, you know, after we just got done seeing him be so macho and um, like his dad, and now we see that he's the one standing on it or on his knees, you know, basically like vomiting up his guts. Um, And he's like, I had to keep myself from shrieking. (laughs) (laughs) that he was able to really you know control himself and act so well yeah very impressed with Quincy yeah he he definitely has the acting skills down but then this also tells me that he does not have the stomach to take over his father's organization like I think if if he ever is at the helm of it he's gonna have to have a lot of people around him that do the dirty work because I don't think he could handle it whatsoever right um and even even tor is like well you could have fooled me i thought that was your old man sitting there at the table and i mean i i definitely agree with tor there like he put on a good show um but and and quincy says something interesting he's like well duh i'm his son after all but don't change the subject so you know he's basically saying well yeah of course i can pick up on things because he's my dad and if we think about it in in the context of quincy being a writer like when, when you write, I'm just speaking from my own experience with writing, um, you write what you know, and you write what's intuitive and what's around you. Um, and like you were talking about Mindy with him growing up within the organization, being around his dad and seeing how his dad is, he knows how to put that act on because he's lived it his entire life. Um, and, and being a writer, you know, he, he would know how to, um, he would know the right words to say and how to say it and, and how to present himself in that situation. Um, meanwhile, he's like, he, he's like that duck on water where he's kicking like the Dickens underneath, but you wouldn't think anything by just looking at the surface. Right. Um, so I just, I, I just found that really funny. And then Tora is sitting here saying, he's like, well, his jaw wasn't broken. It's not even close. And then, <laughs> I love this part. He says, how did you know that? And, and Taurus says, personal experience. But look at Taurus' expression here. He's just like, yeah, dude, personal experience. Like, he's totally flat with this. Mm. This is a Tuesday for him. Um, and so, of course, Quincy, that look on his face, when he's asking, like, was it you or was it somebody else? Um. And then we get this creepy freaking smile. Like, I know a lot of people are just like, oh, my God, Tor is smiling. I'm like, this is not a sincere smile. This is no. trying to freak out Quincy. Yep. <laughs> Which is hilarious that he, he does that to him. Yeah. yeah. But on purpose. You know, he knows how he can mess with Quincy. Oh, for uh, sure. I mean, yeah. as, as you would with somebody who's practically your brother, right? I mean, you know, there's nothing like siblings to wind each other up. Let me tell you. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is a question, right? So we we know that you know we we figure out from here, and we see from throughout the cartoon that mm-hmm. they they had a some kind of filial relationship. And mm-hmm. I really wonder if this, you know, the fact that this is for for Tora, the first time seeing Quincy act like his father, how that affected Tora? Because yeah. You know, Tora is used to him, you know, being a safe person, right? You know, Quincy's the good guy. Quincy is the guy who can't be violent. Quincy's the guy who, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure he's a big baby and probably self-absorbed, yeah. but he's not violent. And now to see his friend and the person who he thought of as, as a safe person turned violent, I wonder how 
how that made him feel. You know, he feels threatened, right. but mm-hmm. like he, he doesn't have that security anymore. And he like feels disappointed that somebody that he trusted to be a good person was turning to the dark side. Yeah. And that's a great observation because, you know, sometimes people don't know that they can do something until they have a taste of it. And yeah. here we see Quincy got a taste of it. And I wouldn't doubt that he got just a smidgen of enjoyment from doing this, um, at least when he was in the room. Now, of course, when he thinks about it later on, like when we're in these scenes, he's having second thoughts about it. And I don't know too many people who wouldn't. You know, we we all have 2020 vision when we're looking back on our actions. And um, I'm even reminded of those first scenes of Poppy when she caught jewelry cheating on her and she's like thinking through her head, like, how was I supposed to react? It's not like I prepare myself for something like this. And I, you know, in the same token, I don't think Quincy prepared himself in that right for this. Um, Like he knows what to say. And like, you know, he, he knows how to put on the act, but I don't think he was ready for the emotional fallout of it and, and how he would actually feel about it. Um, and then kind of tying it back to what you were saying, uh, Mindy, about, you know, how Torah is viewing all this. I mean, he's seeing it very much from an outsider's perspective. And so there is that potential where he sees like, well, maybe he, he does get enjoyment out of this. Maybe this is something that he could get a taste of and, and be okay with. Right. I know that, um, you know, I'm Jewish, right? So the Holocaust is something that's very, very present. You know, my family will you know, I'm descendant of Holocaust survivors. So one thing that I know is that like the people who carried out the most brutal acts, they were often selected because not any normal person could do that. They had to choose people who were, you know, able to carry out these horrible acts on other people. Right. And, you know, there's lots of stories. I mean, like there's personal stories that I just know from the people that I grew up with that would tell us about like the Nazi guards who would, you know, show some signs of of humanity because even even among their there you know they were still people and sometimes they even couldn't handle what they were doing right what i don't like to talk about it too much it's like really horrible but um mm-hmm. but like you see um you know, you see that, like, this is something in the gang as well right this is something that i think we also if we think about it we would have to contend with with torah because we know torah has done we know he's a little bit later you know we know he's done some pretty bad things and yeah you know this is a person we want to love but he has done pretty awful things to other people. Right. And it just speaks to those different facets of each person. And, and I would say just, you know, kind of speaking very briefly on the work that I do, people are rarely one dimensional. Um, We both have, you know, all, all of us have good, bad and ugly sides to us. Um, And they come out at different times and for different reasons. And so, you know, I think it's really important. And it's one of the reasons why I really enjoy this comic is that, you know, these could be real people um, and they're fleshed out in such a way that one, you can relate to them and you can also see yourself in them in that, you know, we're not all good. We're not all bad. We all have sides to us that we would rather not talk about or not boast about. Um, and then there's sides of us that we're really proud of that, that, you know, we, we have a sense of, you know, I, I've, You know, I I feel like a good person in some ways. And I think, you know, for Torah in particular, I mean, he's definitely going to have to grapple with that based on the things that he's done and and how he feels as a human being. Um, Honestly, that's just part of the human condition, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I, I think another know. thing that uh, that comes into it is also how we compartmentalize yeah. and how we aren't in integrity with ourselves. And that's a really common experience that, mm -hmm. you know, we bring out different facets of ourselves depending on context, depending on the people that are around us. And, um, you know, some of what some of the places where we as, fall apart as human beings is when we can't integrate yeah. what we've done in one situation with how we are in in other situations that creates a dissonance for 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 our minds absolutely um, and i think that is actually one of the bigger themes in in the comic as an as a you know overall um you know how do people behave in dif different situations why do they choose certain actions and you know in, in one situation and not another mm -hmm. and how do they live with the dissonance between them and, you know, I mean, this episode is, is definitely also about that, you know, new new kind of aspects to to people and mm -hmm. how how will they cope with them and, and what does it do to their relationships with other people who are not used to those aspects? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Right. We'll, we'll see, you know, Tora, the way Tora treats Poppy the sensitivity that he treats her with, the care, the the nuance, and the the selflessness is a complete contradistinction with how he treats, um, for example, like the tertiary clan members. Mm -hmm. um, like right. Other gamma, he totally disregards them. They're not people to him. They're just like he has to he has to maintain a certain presence and image. So he acts, you know, he acts in, in accordance with that, which is in a very brutal way. And whereas with Poppy, you know, he's so sensitive to her feelings, and um, it's just a complete contrast. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's also something that, you know, he appears to be quite conscious of even in, in these early episodes about, you know, what does she see of his actions? Mm -hmm. You know, which which what impression is she getting from from what she perceives and how does that connect to who she thinks he is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so speaking of like women and how Poppy treats him, Quincy reveals to us that somehow chicks are smitten by Tora's creepy smile. <laughs> it's because he's good looking, guys. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly why. Do you remember there was this um this video, this not video, this photo that went around of this inmate who was super gorgeous? And yeah. uh, everybody on the internet swooning. And meanwhile, I don't remember what his specific crime was, but it, I think it was like a violent crime. And it's like, everyone's like, I don't care. He's gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, this is one of those things that, you know, baffles me a lot, uh, you know, especially when I think about, you know, people reacting that way. It's, you know, I, I can't quite square it. Obviously, we would never want a violent person to be violent with us. So what do we think exactly is going to happen? You well, know, we, we we become part of their inner circle and they will only direct their violence outwards and that keeps us safe. Is is that the dynamic here? I don't know. Well, I have I have a little bit, I dabbled a little bit in college with evolutionary psychology. And mm. one of the things that comes up, the themes that comes up frequently when it comes to uh, sexual relationships is that um, in, in a good number of cases, I mean, we, we have been genetically wired um, as females, um, not all females, of course, because everyone has their different um, preferences and whatnot, but um, in a male and female relationship, they're looking for the alpha male. 
Um, mm. Your hormones are driving you towards the alpha male and Torah is very much the alpha male. Um, you know, he's, he's, a, you know, outside of, you know, his good looking aesthetics, he's also very much domineering. Um, he, he just has that presence about him, you know, and the, one of the reasonings behind that is because as if, if we're looking at it from an evolutionary perspective, you're looking for a mate who's going to protect you. You're looking for a mate right. that is going to have strong children. Um, right. And so this is, you know, th this might be one of the reasons that despite the involvement with violence um, and, you know, the, you know, involvement in criminal activities, it's also, you know, I mean, in our society, there's sometimes it's glamorized. I mean, mm. how many mafia movies do we have out there? Right. Um, so you get this over romanticized version of it, um, not understanding like the underbelly of what's really going on. But well, and, and also, you know, I mean, there, there aren't so many viable routes mm -hmm. for, for men to be violent and mm -hmm. stay in society, right? Yeah. In the military, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of that is, you know, being sent abroad and, you know, being in a very um, separate part of society. That's true. And they, they are kind of seen as and I'm just speaking as a military wife, you know, they are kind of seen as other in a lot of ways and that reintegration is different and they even see themselves as other in a lot of ways. Exactly. Um, exactly. Which leaves people like police and, you know, gang, you know, places that men go and exhibit violence. Right. Mm -hmm. so. Interesting. Okay, this is this is definitely great. Not necessarily still on topic, but okay. Great, I love that because that does show that Lily brings in real life, and we can, you know, it can touch on anything in real life. Mm -hmm. So, actually, speaking mm -hmm. of you know aggression and masculinity, um, Quincy now references the fact that Toro would spend his summer break hunting down spiders and setting them on fire to hear them scream. Which, again, I feel like, Patty, that's like a way, uh, a therapist thing for you. But obviously, like, to me, the first thing I saw when I when I saw that, I thought, you know, here is little child Torah. Violence is being enacted on him and he has no control and he cannot retaliate. So the only way that he can, you know, exhibit control and feel like he has some power is to take these helpless animals, spiders, and reenact the violence that's being enacted on him on these animals. Mm hmm yeah. And I mean, granted, you know, obviously uh, torture of animals is one of those things in the trifecta of a serial killer. However, you know, that you have to take that into context of, you know, what the person has experienced in their life. And, you know, I, I really like that perspective you were saying, Mindy, about, you know, this is maybe his way of acting out as a small child. And, and we also have to consider that like kids kill bugs. It happens, mm. you know, um, I, I one of the, one of the things I try not to do is pathologize things where there there is no pathology. And the truth of the matter is, is that we don't know enough about Torah to really know what's going on here. And I I, I really want a flashback of this. I, I have a feeling, like part of part of me wants to believe maybe it's just the um, naive part of me wants to believe that there's actually a funny story behind this. Um, yeah. And I really hope we get a flashback of it. <laughs> Also, my other thought was, um, I don't remember a spider screaming. 
I didn't hear any noises. <laughs> I didn't know they could either. Like, this is not so obviously. I don't torture spiders on the regular, so I don't know if they scream. <laughs> I'm literally Googling, can spiders scream? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the, the other thing is that, uh, you know, that torturing animals, you know, it it sort of depends a bit on, on you know, where it goes afterwards. Mm -hmm. You know, does it, does it escalate? Does it go right. to bigger animals? Does it go to mammals? Does it go to then, you know, weaker humans and, mm -hmm. and so on? Or is it one of those, oh, yeah, no, actually, that feels really awful. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do that again. And that's, you know, that's kind of the, the you know, where it might become a pathology or not. Um, and also, you know, yeah, I see Mindy's point about, you know, it could be a re release from the mm -hmm. from the violence and trauma experience, but it could also be a sort of, you know, how does it actually feel when I do that, when I, um, you know, hurt and kill and exert control? Um, you know, is is small bugs the only the only kind of, you know, smaller than me that I get to do that to, and right. does that bring me a sort of relief? Um, but also, you know, I'm surrounded by violence. People are violent to me. People are abusive to me. Um, and, you know, they're also my caregivers. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, understanding how it feels to kill and torture spiders might give me an insight into what's going on with my caregivers, right? Yeah. That, that sort of dimension to things yeah you know, trying to relate to the people that are, are meant to be parental figures yeah and it, it does definitely create confusion for the child there's no doubt about it um you know and it it you know and, and sometimes the, you know children at that age they're very impressionable and they might act out the things that they experience um right but i think it's also important to caution that you know just because you do grow up in that environment doesn't necessarily mean that you will be that kind of person because like you were saying right. before uh, rebecca you know they they might look back on it and they might think well i didn't really feel great about doing that i don't that's not the kind of person i want to be you know and i think the big difference there is that reflection um yeah and, then, and also empathy, mm -hmm. you know, where, where does your empathy then yeah. lie? Does it lie with essentially the bully, the, the person perpetrating violence, or does your empathy flip to the victim? Right. And once you empathize with the victim, you go, oh, no, actually, I don't ever want to do that again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's also why we see this different side of Toro when he's around Poppy, because he gets an opportunity to practice being a regular human. Um, you know, and I think obviously we're going to find out about characters that heavily influenced Tora's upbringing. Um, and I think that's partly due to that. Um, but I just, I, I just, I really caution people to not look at this as, um, that it's not determinative. You're, you're not right. Ju just because you've grown up that way doesn't mean that you're going to be that way or that you're going to harm somebody else, because I think that that can be really damaging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's also what, you know, Quincy's kind of sitting with in this particular mm -hmm. scene, you know, yeah. he's obviously grown up with the same father um, or father figure mm -hmm. uh, relating to Torah. And he's kind of tried on his father's shoes in this in this episode. Yeah. And is trying to figure out whether he likes them or not, um, you know, whether he's capable of of acting in the way that he's seen his father act. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's great. And one thing that's so interesting is that he then says, you know, I swear to God, if you ever bring a girl home, that's the first thing I'm telling her. So you see from here, you know, demonstrating again that they have that filial relationship mm-hmm. where he considers right. himself to be home. You know, he's the home for Torah. Right. Which mm-hmm. is nice. Right. And I just, I love, you know, I feel like that line was not in there for nothing. I really do feel like we're going to get something along those lines and I cannot wait for it. I am excited about it because I want to see his reaction. I kind of want to see Taurus squirm a little bit. (laughs) Well, he's definitely making Quincy squirm squirm here because he says, yeah, you cried during that Quincy boy. And Quincy shivers. This is hilarious. It's so interesting their their relationship because mm-hmm. on one hand Quincy Quincy has all the power because Quincy is the volume and son, and you know any word from him can get anything happening. But on the other hand, Torah has all the personality and the psychological dominance mm-hmm. between the two of them. So it's such an interesting paradox, and it's just it's like like dance of power between them. Yeah. Right. And physical power as well. I have zero doubt that he's stronger than than Quincy. Oh yeah, he'd take Quincy out in a heartbeat. Yeah, if he had. To. Well, yeah. Scroll down a few panels, and there we go. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh God, I love that part. <laughs> and he also has this like little brother relationship with him, um, which yeah. is you know like he's using his. It seems like he always has used his. Um, some people, you know, they learn to adapt with whatever they have. So, like, if you're the physically stronger one, you know, you use that. But if you're the weaker one, you use other things. Like, you use Quincy uses his his voice, his words. You know, Dad, help me, or like, come, you know, complaining on, on other people, ratting out on other people. So, that's like it seems like what Quincy has done, and it's a typical younger younger sibling thing. I'm, I'm the only yeah. sibling I was always beating my sibling. <laughs> one of them was always running to my parents, you know, like, I mean, I this, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was the older sibling, and I was kind of a bully to my little brother when I was growing up. Um, fun little segue story. I, um, when I was, I think, two or three, I chased my little brother who was like maybe a year and a half and was just barely walking at the time. I chased him around a glass coffee table and he smacked his face on the coffee table. And then apparently I tried to say, no, I didn't do it. It was the dog. (laughs) (laughs) So just to say, you know, I just, uh, this is another reason why I want to point out, like you can be a sadistic little kid and still grow up to be a decent human being. (laughs) Says you. (laughs) Do we think we believe you? (laughs) I hope so. No, my mother reminds me apparently when I was around nine I apparently literally this is going to sound horrible apparently I smashed my brother's head through a glass window and I I do not remember this at all but see that's I have to ask her again so but (laughs) I I, I don't know apparently it was like so mundane to me that I don't remember it I don't know (laughs) but we, we were very violent as kids which is interesting because I actually feel in terms of like you were talking about uh, a way to channel aggression, mm-hmm. I totally feel like I have that aggressive in- inclination. You know, um, I do mud runs now and I like, um, I'm, you know, about to start some kickboxing. Like I really enjoy that kind of physical tussle. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I, I, I'm also like a softy inside, you know, I do poetry and stuff like that. So I think that they, they can coexist in one person. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh goodness. So anyway, so but Quincy, little brother that he is, just can't can't stop himself. A little bit like Mr. Morrison here. He's like, uh, you haven't answered my question. And Lily has this adorable, like, 
vignette she says morbid curiosity got the better of him and he asked was it you or someone else with that personal experience and he knows he shouldn't be asking he's like holding his hand up to protect himself and sweating mm-hmm. while he's asking, but he just has to know <laughs> yeah and i think i think this was a subtle way of lily breaking the fourth wall here because we're all curious too <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. But he just, he has that like little kid look like he goes, he he had such an adult facade about him when he was, you know, in that room, in that boardroom. And now he's, he's very like his features, the way that Lily drew him is very childlike. Um, and, and he's like, Hey, you're going to tell me the answer to that. And we just see that Torah's like, we'll see about that you know like he he just gets out his cigarette and he's just silent (laughs) Quincy's like never mind I don't want to (laughs) know yeah and that's displaying his power again Mm -hmm. you know not needing to answer not feeling that you have to say anything right again putting your putting yourself up there Right. And, you know, like in the scene with Mr. Morrison, we have the, the, you know, the height difference in play again. So Quincy's on his knees in front of the uh, the rubbish bin and Tora standing up. So, you know, he's he he's towering over Quincy um, in much the way that both Quincy and Tora were towering over Mr. Morrison earlier. And, you know, and it's it's that's like an obvious sort of way of demonstrating power in any you know in a, in a very physical way mm-hmm. you know the the taller person tends to have the you know the physical dominance going on mm-hmm. and so you know people being on their knees being pushed to their knees or you know going there voluntarily is a is a very um you know like physical way of of showing what that power dynamic actually happens to look like in that situation you know it makes it obvious to everybody who's there and and including the onlookers Mm-hmm. I like how Quincy also likens this whole thing to um, the corporate world because, of course, that's that's what his experience is. And he's telling Tori, "You're overqualified for the job," meaning you have way too much experience with this. Right. Yeah. I think that's also very interesting because the fact that you know Quincy is supposed to be again like it's harking back to what I was saying about how Toro might feel about Quincy go pouring into this, um, this violent world. Quincy is supposed to be his, his safe space and his friend. And even Quincy is acknowledging that Tora is this violent machine. Mm-hmm. I wonder mm-hmm. how that feels to feel for Tora to, to hear, hear that from, you know, his friend. Yeah. Someone that right. he doesn't have that kind of relationship with. Right. And he's, he's lighting up a cigarette again, which, you know, of course we know that that's his stressor marker. And, you know, we, I know we talked a little bit about this last week, but, you know, thinking about what, you know, what was the reason for him lighting up a cigarette at this point? You know, part of me was guessing that, you know, maybe, maybe he's having an empathic response for Quincy here, or maybe Mm -hmm. he's stressed out at the memory because they just started talking about the broken jaw Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And I think we can Mm -hmm. glean from that that Torres had some personal experience from that. Um, so I wonder, it, it could be a combination of things, but I'm just think, thinking here, like, what is he stressed about? Right. You know, we have, uh, you know, Quincy's kind of, you know, new aspect of Quincy. We have memory of, um, you know, violence possibly going back some years. And we've been talking about girls. You yep. know, it's like, take your pick here. <laughs> Maybe it's all of the above. You know, specifically. <laughs> 
Right, exactly. You know, a little of column A, a little of column B. Mm -hmm. um, you know, specifically, Quincy has mentioned bringing home girls mm -hmm. uh, in that sort of, you know, if you ever bring home a girl, meaning it hasn't happened so far that we know, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, would, would be a sort of, you know, an escalation of Torah and, you know, the way he relates to women. Yeah. Right? Stressful. That's stressful, people. Yeah, it's stressful <laughs> and everyday normal. Like I've already told my husband, I'm like, if this doesn't work out, or for us, I'm never getting married again. Like this is too stressful. I will have my dogs, and I will be a spinster. I'm okay with that. <laughs> right. Yeah, you have to say spinster because if it's spinster, then you're like all the other famous authoresses, and that's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, actually, I think that there might be an indication for which of the choices it might be. Um, I think if we're, there might be some proof for, for A, because the next panel we have is Torah, you know, smoking his cigarette and looking down at Quincy. And then he asks him, he says, how'd that feel like? Right. So if we're if we're thinking that maybe Torah is unnerved by Quincy's new persona, this is him asking, right. what did you feel like being violent? What did you feel like being sadistic? Yeah. And, yeah. and I love how Torah knows to ask this question here, you know, uh, and of course we, we see Quincy in the following panels. He's really honest about it and you can see him pause in that next panel. Um, but I, I love that Torah is intuitive enough to know to ask because if he didn't have this other side to him that cared about people around him, he wouldn't have even thought to ask that, you know, if he, if he was truly mm. the brute that he is painted to be, he would have never said anything. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Patty, you were saying how Quincy is drawn very childlike before. Mm -hmm. Now in these panels, he, he really, he's not, he's drawn mature again right. and he, he's quiet. He's still, he's contemplative. He's looking down, you know, you, he really is, he's speaking from his heart here. Yeah. He's very honest here. And I definitely appreciated that. And, you know, again, we're seeing this side of him that's like, no, I'm not cut out for this. I don't like this. I feel shitty about it. It was underwhelming. It was stupid. Um, violence isn't the answer to everything is what he says to Torah. Um, and he's even thinking about like, oh, maybe I should go check on Mr. Morrison. Like, he strikes me as the type who would do something and then apologize for existing. <laughs> right. And his posture here is really indicative of how he's feeling. He's he's just leaning back against the against the concrete pillar and mm -hmm. his arms are down, his legs are spread out. He's wiped. He's emotionally drained from what he just did. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, Quincy connects it to Torah's everyday life and he's like, How have you been living your life this way? So that gives us an indication. He knows a lot more about what's happened to Torah than we've known in previous episodes. Right. Yeah. And I'm also, you know, to me, it also is a, is a question, you know, they've been friends for so friends, brothers for so many years and have they never discussed this? Yeah. Like what, just bringing it up now, 26, 20, let's say 23, 24, whatever, how, however old he is, you know, they never talked about their experiences before. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would think that they would be a source of solace for each other or they could be, but I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe they're, they're, they're men, maybe they're, you know, they're obviously not raised in a place that maybe encourages and fosters emotional connection and communication. Yeah. That's a very good point. And I, and I think that that's um, true to life. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's partially being young men. I think the uh, you know certainly teenagers and and into their twenties, um, I believe are much more concerned about looking cool and powerful than relating on an emotional yeah. level. And I also think that the issue of compartmentalization comes back into it as well. Mm. That um, you know I don't I don't think even Quincy would go poking around in Tora's psyche about what his own father is making Tora do and be. Mm-hmm. Do you know? That that might just be one of those things that you think, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not poking that yeah. there, no. <laughs> so I, I can well imagine that they've never spoken about it because it's been easily avoided, yeah. and you know maybe they've gone out and had fun together, or they've, you know, whatever it is that they've their interactions have actually consisted of, it's not been this. Yeah. And so it's never been in their faces so much that they've had to speak about yeah. it. And I think the reason, you know, kind of piggybacking off of what you were saying, um, Rebecca, you know, maybe one of the reasons that they haven't talked about it up to this point is the guilt and the responsibility that Quincy might feel. Right. Um, mm, he right. is in, the, in a privileged position, um, regardless of how trapped he might feel within it. He's in this privileged yeah. position and people don't like to poke the bear with things that make them feel guilt or make them feel shame. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think Quincy, you know, he, he demonstrates that he's also pretty self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. So it might honestly just, he just might not be at that emotional maturity place we get where he can care so much about other people. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. And also, you know, bear in mind that Toro is meant to be the big brother. You know, he's the one to be emulated. He's the one who, you know, leads and Mm -hmm. and Quincy follows in terms of, you know, where people go, what's cool, what's acceptable behavior. Um, You know, I really don't see, you know, a little brother kind of so much questioning big big brother about, you know, what the hell are you actually doing and how do you feel about it? Like. You know, I, I, any sibling, actually, I, you know, if I think about my relationship with my own sister, who's younger as well, it's, you know, now in our 40s, we would have those conversations, but we definitely would not have done so as as children, teenagers or even, mm-hmm. you know, young women. No. Yeah, there's that air of authority there when you're the eldest child and, you know, they they either don't care or they don't they don't have a connection to that. Um Right. And it's just not sort of part of the role, yeah. you know, it's a, like the older one is the one who says, you know, how you're feeling, how you're doing. And the younger one just kind of does their best to keep right. up, basically. Right. You know? This is so interesting. I know that there, there's this whole field in psychology that views people very much as a function of their their order uh, in the family. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought it was a little reductionist when I, when I read about it, you know, I, of course it is not just their birth order, but, but I definitely, I think you're hundred percent right about the, the roles that siblings play and that, yeah, Quincy may not be, that's not his relationship with Torah. Yeah. And I mean, think about how we groom siblings to do certain things like, you know, maybe it, maybe it's, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. We say that the older sibling is the one who takes charge and takes care of things because that's the role we've always groomed them to be and that the younger the younger sibling is always the irresponsible um less mature you know not just because not just because of chronicle chronological age but because of you know how we we expect them to act a certain way and so we kind of get that behavior from them Right. And also, you know, certainly for young children, it's absolutely true, isn't it? I mean, if you're, you know, three or five, 
somebody who's two years older streets ahead of you mm -hmm. developmentally and in terms of responsibility and capability and you know all of those things yeah. it makes a massive difference yeah and we also really see with torah here that you know there's this part of him that's just very jaded you know he's right. he's again got that impassive look on his face that far away thousand yard stare look on his face um and he says somebody's got to take out the trash and i just I don't know i felt really sad at that moment when i read that line and i'm like and he and he says you know that someone just happens to be me and people like me so there's an air of acceptance there but it's also you know kind of a depressing acceptance hmm. yeah and i agree it, like there's i also like i see that torah has this um maturity and being able to accept who he is but yeah but it is depressing at the same time you know, there's um, Dylan Thomas has a poem. I think it's, a, if I'm recalling correctly, do not go quiet unto thy gentle night, mm -hmm. right? He's saying fight against death. So Torah, right? There's this, and you were talking, um, Rebecca, about compartmentalization. I can never say it right. But, you know, yeah. there's a moment if, you, if you're a human being and you have to do things that you don't want to do. So you can either fight against it and say, you know, I hate, and hate yourself, basically, or you can mm. accept it and kind of quietly hate yourself. So totally <laughs> the latter. Yeah, I definitely think yeah. that. And then Quincy says, yeah, you're probably just desensitized by do it by now, which I think to some extent is probably true. He has to do that in order to protect himself emotionally. I mean, if you think about it, um, people yeah. in the military do the same thing. Um, right. And then when, when you have to interact in, in, you know, civilian in quote situations, um, you might not know how to express yourself or how to to think or talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah. A civilian is going to look at that very differently. Like, oh my God, that was a terrible act of violence. Whereas someone who that's their daily, you know, that's like, oh, well, that's nothing. Tuesday um, mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, and you yeah. can see that you can see that in Quincy's expression to Torah. He says, you know, it's maybe just a job to you, and he gives him kind of like that othering look. And you see, you know, it's like a, it's a, it's an expression we don't see again in Quincy. But he, you know, he raises his eyebrows and he's looking sideways at Torah, and it's like the concern, but it's also like, you know, you're a different species, Torah. Like you're just so different, yeah. and in a in a in kind of like a caring way, but like in a like, how, how do I describe the look? Like a little bit of a horrified, like kind of expression. Where it's like you know you're this is who you become this is who you are and it's like it's a sad mm. existence and like i'm not yeah yeah and when he yeah. says that he says you know it looks like it's something he was thinking about to some extent before because he says he says i don't think violence is the answer to everything or anything and i'm even more certain about that now yeah so it sounds like he was really giving it thought before and this probably for him was his way of experimenting and like yeah, maybe a, a pivotal point in his life. He may have been thinking, you know, I really don't think violence is the answer, but let me give it one try. Let me just see what happens. Mm -hmm. and, and he decided that no, you know, it seems like you know he just went with his what his natural personality is, like no, I don't, I don't think this is going to solve anything. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I don't think it's. Carry on. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say it's you know it's not just idle speculation for for Quincy, is it? I mean, I think he's quite aware of the fact that he's going to be expected to f fulfill that role at some stage, mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah. This is yeah. You know, we've 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 just had that whole scene around him essentially like coming out as as a you know mafia member mm -hmm. to members of the public, 
and uh, you know, kind of leaning on that role a little bit to get them to to do what he wants. Um, and you know, it is kind of dipping his toe in a possible future that's not just a you know a random experiment. Yeah, and and Torah definitely reminds him of that. Uh, of the choice that he's going to have to make, even though he's snarky about it in this comment. And he's like, how's that working out for you? <laughs> mm. And, uh, you know, he, of course, Quincy reacts to that because Tora is challenging his viewpoint. And he's like, it's working out just fine. Dr. Phil, which I, of course I cracked up about that, but, <laughs> um, um, and Tora's just like, who the hell's Dr. Phil? Um, so I, I really like that after we had this very, very serious conversation, you know, we're, we're reminded that, you know, these two are still brothers and they're still going to like haggle each other like brothers do. Um, yeah. Right. And Quincy, Quincy says he'd be more shocked if he knew who we were. Yeah. So again, showing you that Quincy to some extent has had much more of a normal childhood. He seems to have been spared of the mafia life to some extent because he understand he knows who Dr. Phil is. And it's also, it's reflective of not just their lifestyles, but also their, their inherent interest and personality. Yeah. You know, Quincy yeah. softy and he probably is more as a writer, right? He's more interested in psychology and human behavior and relationships and Torah, you know, nature and nurture doesn't have time for it. doesn't have an interest in it. Right. It doesn't serve him at all. Right. And he's had to cut his life down to, to, you know, and we see, especially later, like he only does what he needs to do. Yeah. Everything is for the purpose of his, his job. Yeah. And if you think about it in terms of hierarchy of needs, Torah is very much in survival mode a lot of the time because he's got to do what his boss tells him to do. He's in dangerous situations you don't really get to think abstractly about life and like what you want when you're constantly involved in something like that. And Quincy, like I've said before, no matter how much he might be trapped by the mob life, he has the freedom to reflect on that. Whereas Torah does not. Although I will say this next couple of panels does show that he has, he has emotional awareness mm -hmm. because I didn't, I didn't catch this until literally just now. And I'm happy that I did because I, I think that this is great. You know, these next couple panels, he he stops and then he, you know, he's looking down at Quincy and he brings the cigarette to his mouth and he takes a chug and lets it out. So he's taking some time. He's kind of building up his reserves and preparing himself to say what he's about to say. So yeah. I think it's something that's going to be a little emotionally difficult for him to say. And then he, you know, once he's, he's made up his mind to say it, he throws the cigarette away. You know, I think it's more like, you know, okay, I'm ready. I'm bracing myself. And then he, walks by Quincy, you know, you see this panel of Quincy looking contemplative and, and sad, right? And Quint Tora walks past him and he leans down to Quincy and, you know, he's putting himself on his level and Quincy is, you know, shifting towards him. He's opening up to him. It's mm -hmm. like this, this vulnerable, connected dynamic between them. And he says, look, Quinston. And I, I, what he's going to say is really caring. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but he still says in a Torah way, because, you know, when Quincy jives with him, he's like, ooh, you know, when Big Bo Torah gets down on your level, calls you by your name, you know, he's about to give you a talking to. And, you know, Torah just <laughs> smacked his face. <laughs> oh, that's what you get for being mouthy, Quincy. Sorry, dude. <laughs> like, and, and I think that's really an indication of, of Torah also saying like, hey, man, I'm, I'm trying to be real here with you and you're getting snarky with me. <laughs> yeah and again, his his first reports is such an older brother thing he just like smacks him and it's yeah. not like a hard thing right he just smacks him 
But, you know, you actually see <laughs> Quincy. I didn't notice this either until now, but Quincy has like a little bump protruding from his head right away. I guess it's like a cartoon vision. I didn't his, notice that the first time around either. Me neither. <laughs> his first reaction again is like, little brother, I'm telling dad you hit me. Like, hello, they're in their 20s. Who tells them uh-huh. to add these things? Seriously, Quincy? and yet you know Torah has the automatic go right ahead your little snitch which is what any older sibling will tell the little one every time you know (laughs) it also gives an indication of how like maybe a little bit how not serious uh Vincent takes his son (laughs) yeah Yeah, Yeah. he probably just rolled his eyes and said you know keep eating him up Torah toughen him up Mm -hmm. yep I actually it's funny because I have a little bit of this dynamic with my kids one of my, my, my oldest, my daughter, who's nine, is this like softy sweetheart. And my son, who's eight, almost eight now, he's much more of a tough guy. And he could tease her and he doesn't hit her so much, but like he'll, he'll take stuff from her. And her instinctive reaction is coming to me and me or, or my husband. And you're like, oh, Shimshon took this, Shimshon took that. And because I grew up as the oldest and I, you know, I, I don't even understand, I cannot relate to her at all in that sense. I'm like, but, um, my, you know, and I want her to learn how to stand up for herself. So I never, you know, I try not to interfere. Like, you have to stand up for yourself. You have to, you know, go take it back yourself. Go make him give it back to you. And I try to teach her how to stand up for herself and defend herself. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's just so interesting to see, like, the same thing. It's, you know, perennial. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, of course, Quincy, just to, you know, Lily's here to remind us that Quincy cares about what he looks like. He's like, what was that that video tutorial to style my hair? And I'm like, oh my god, dude! <laughs> right, that's all he cares about. It's hilarious. But also, he he says he's going to go on a date tonight. So you know, uh-huh. Winston has a social life. He has an emotionally. He has a life outside of the clan. Well, we assume. Yeah. We don't know who he's doing, right, but um, you know, he um he has like, experience with bruises. He's like, your bruises last for days. So clearly, this is something that has happened quite often before. And yeah, and he is emotionally healthy enough and he's out, he has a life, you know, he goes out, yep. he has a social. Yeah. But now, oh, go ahead. now, now yeah, so now Torah, you know, while Quincy is being all um, extra over here, Torah is looking at him, he tells him, you know, now he's, he says what he wanted to say. And he says, Morrison's a dickhead. And I would have gone and F that man up myself after what he did to you today. And now we have a flashback to the reason that, Quincy wanted to intimidate Mr. Morrison. Mm-hmm. So, right, we, we, until now, we didn't know why. But now, we, you know, we see Quincy again pulling up with his car and he tells him that he found out that Morrison's been plag- plagiarizing his work, all the novels and the manuscripts that he submitted to him that he'd rejected for being garbage. Then today he finds out that they terminated his contract because he has diva issues and they won't be getting a single cent for all the work I've done for him. And he's like crying. He's literally, he has a tear in his eye and he's mm-hmm. crying to Tori because it's one whole year's worth of nonstop work. And, you know, you really see it's not the money that's the issue for him. He says, I'm so tired of being pushed around just because I don't use my status to get my way. And maybe it's because I look like, and Taurus has a pussy. And he was going to say a pushover. But you really see, like, this is, Quincy, like you were saying, this is his experiment into, like, what um, what it would be like to be violent. Mm-hmm. And he especially needs it because he is used to being perceived as a pussy, a pushover. And he's sick of it. And he wants to 
he wants to see what is it like to be, you know, the macho man for once. Yeah. And I think also, you know, one of the things that I really appreciated and I was like, go Quincy was that, you know, that little bit about him not using his family name to get his way, to get his accolades that he really wants to do this for the love of it and, and to do it well, because, and that, that also tells me that he wants to separate himself from the clan in a lot of ways. He wants mm-hmm. to be his own person. And, and I can definitely respect that. And, you know, after everything that I thought about Quincy up until this point, I was like, you know what? That's respectable. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And it, it obviously matters enough to him that, you know, that he's he's put in at least a year's worth of work and he's holding up a whole big stack it's it's almost like you know it's it's almost as much paper as, as fits into his lot rather large hands mm-hmm. work that he's produced for for the publisher yeah i mean that's driven at, you know in your early 20s to be producing that much output that's you know he's he's clearly not doing it for the for the hell of it yeah. you know Right. Um, he's he's obviously looking. Yeah, well, not obviously. He, he might be looking for you know a way to establish himself, um, you know, as a as a viable business, as you you know, viable income uh, apart from his father and and the clan business, and that's why he's working so hard. And so you know, it's extra um, hurtful um, to have been rejected, but also taken advantage of. Um, in the way that Mr. Morrison has with, um, you know, not, you know, it, it, it seems to me like Quincy's saying the rejection I could handle, but then plagiarizing my work. That's, that's, yeah. you know, it's one step too far. Um, that's, that's unacceptable. Yeah. So the fact that the secretary called to say that he has diva issues, the fact that that's even something that can, you know, would be a plausible excuse about Quincy demonstrates to us that that is something that Quincy is like, because, you know, you, you use an appellation that is, that makes reasonable, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can see that in the way that he carries himself and, you know, the little, little quips about his hairstyling and, you know, the, I mean, you can see by the way he dresses, you know, I mean, he obviously um, has has an air about him. And I mean, it's, I think at this point, it's just kind of funny and endearing, but I'm kind of curious as to how far he takes it. Hmm. <laughs> and by the way, what you were saying before, right? So we, we were saying that, you know, he, he doesn't use his stats, get his way. The fact that, you know, that now he outed himself like you said as a volume I really wonder what the implications are going to be for him like was he expecting that yeah nobody would, would say anything was he expecting that um well, you know like what is that's a big step for him to have done I mean he he's it seems like he did it impulsively and then he shows up crying to mm-hmm. Torah and I don't know if he thought it through that much mm-hmm. but I wonder if there are going to be repercussions for him yeah because yeah I mean I thought it seemed plausible hey mm-hmm. Well, and he's giving it to people that are working in the publishing industry, and that's the industry that he works in. And whether or not he or these people out him publicly, I don't think that they would go so far as to do that. But, I mean, work gossip, that'll get around no problem. And there was at least, what, 10 people in that room? And you can't tell me not a single one of them isn't going to let it out that QB Nyoko is Quincy Belchman. Mm-hmm. And it's it's yeah. going to get out and it's going to, I think you're right. It's going to have some consequences for him. 
Yeah. yeah, and I I agree that he didn't think about long-term consequences, but that he was so distraught about what was happening in the short term that, um, you know, he I, I don't think he saw any other way to uh, resolve that situation except to go in heavy and go, actually, you know, I'm a clan member and, you know, you will respect me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that Torah doesn't do anything to stop him. But what's, what's also interesting is that, you know, you see here, Torah tells him now they're back in the present. And it says, he says this with like passion on his face. You know, this is a, his face is not impassive anymore. He really mm-hmm. means this because it would have been 10 times worse for that prick if you hadn't been in that office. And the reason he says that, I think, is because Torah really cares about Quincy and he was angry for him. And he. Oh, absolutely. He mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could tell that, you know, sure, they, to some extent, Torah has an employee-employer relationship with the clan, um, but with this relationship, this brotherly relationship that he has with Quincy, I think that spe- this moment speaks to that because he could have chosen to say, "I'm not going to do this," or "I'm going to make this quick and easy." Like I don't really care about this as much, but he actually did this out of love for Quincy. Yeah, and it's interesting that, you know, for Torah, this is how he can express love, right? He doesn't write, yeah. write news, he doesn't write, he sends chocolate. He, he does what he can do, which is be violent. This is his way of helping his friends. No. And, um, you know, and this is like, again, he's, now he's going beyond that. I mean, he's, he's comforting Quincy. He tells him, you know, stop beating yourself up over this. Got it? And mm-hmm. then the way he says it is like bossy. You know, he's like, you better stop beating yourself up. Over this. He's like, <laughs> yeah. people do themselves all the time, especially when they've been hurt. You're only human after all. And it's just very compassionate of Torah. And this is his Dr. Phil moment. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's also a smidge of him that is maybe uncomfortable with the conversation just a little bit. Um, you know, he's like, you know, stop beating yourself over this. Got it. You know, it's it's basically like, here, let me play fix it real quick. Because uh, yeah. I think some of this does make him intensely uncomfortable. Um, but he's doing it because yeah. he cares. Yeah, I think, um, you know, he's what I think he's doing here is basically saying, uh, Quincy, blame me, not yourself. Mm-hmm. I will take the blame yeah. for what has just happened. Um, because, you know, it's easier for me. I'm your big brother and, you know, I will take the responsibility. I'm used to it. And I already know I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. You get to stay good and you get to stay in integrity. Don't beat yourself up. Wow. You know, I'll take the damage. That's, that's the sort of subtext of what he's, what he's saying here. Damn. And, um, you know, I, sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm just reacting because that's, that's such a fantastic point. Um, and, you know, I do think it's it's uncomfortable, not so much that he's doing this, but partially because he is reflecting on who he is. Yeah. Um, talking about Torah now, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, it's reminding him that, oh, I'm the person who does this all the time. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm I'm desensitized to it. I can I can deal with it. This is this is normal for me. Um, and, you know, maybe the discomfort is seeing the contrast between himself and, and Quincy in this direct right. way that, you know, as we were saying earlier, they've been able to ignore up until this point. They haven't spoken about it. It hasn't come up. Um, and now it's like, oh, yeah, no, actually, we are we are different. We process it differently. And, you know, we um, we feel differently about violence. Yeah. And I wonder also, I wonder if 
Cora is extending towards Quincy and that understanding. I wonder if he's able to extend that to himself as well. Or if, or if, like you yeah. said, if he just sees himself as bad and I'm bad and he internalized it, that guilt upon himself. Yeah. Like, does he feel like he's worthy of it? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, if we're, if we're sort of, you know, linking back to what we've seen of, um, you know, abuses in childhood, I would say signs point to no, he doesn't extend compassion to himself. Yeah. Not yet in anyway. Way. No. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> Speaking to uh, a link to a hopeful future of compassion, he gets a text. We see his phone ring, and you know this total. You know, taking him out of the atmosphere, he's um, he is. You know, he takes his phone out and he looks at it. Well, actually, and while he's doing that, Quincy is reverting back to being the younger brother, and he's like, "Do you still have that back baseball hat you want? You know, you have where all the time." Young Mass Development is going to hit the clubs tonight. You know, that's Quincy's reaction. He, he has the ability to um, just be able to go from intense situation and have fun. He knows how to heal himself, you know. And he, which is hilarious, he said, I'm going for that badass street thug look. Like, you want to get away from that? And he's like, oh, Torah, I need a badass street thug. You're the one I'm going to turn to. I'm like, please, emotional. Like, <laughs> Some, some sensitivity here. Oh, man. <laughs> another reason why he, I love you, Quincy, but honey, you cannot read the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. And and I know Quincy's probably uncomfortable with the conversation too, because he's having a lot of self-reflection. Right. And you know, sometimes people do that. They'll deflect. I, I see it all the time in session too. And somebody gets to an uncomfortable part of what they're talking about. And then they deflect with humor or they they're like suddenly changing the subject, going down another rabbit hole. And so I think yeah. that's part of what Quincy's doing here too. Yeah. Um, and I just, and I love, you know. uh, sorry, I love this whole time that the tour is just like, dude, I don't fucking care. Like I'm going to do my thing. And, and we know how short the text message is. And Torah is so engrossed in reading this text message. He's not even looking up from his <laughs> phone. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned, I, I don't remember who it was. I, I don't remember if it was one of you or if it was someone else, but that, you know, I actually think it was Sarah Hernandez might have been her uh-huh. where Quincy says that um, Torah is always so possessive with his belongings. And she said, I think it was her, if I, if I remember correctly, because there's a lot of people I talked to um, <laughs> where she said that, you know, Quincy may have never made, um, sorry, Torah may have never had much control over anything. So he's possessive because that's the only thing he can control. Yeah. The few things that he does have. That's a good point. Yeah. That's implausible. Yeah. And so, yeah, so Torres' first impression when he gets the text, he first thinks maybe the Durans are going to hold in the information mm-hmm. and he sees it's an unknown number and he's like, okay, who could it be? <laughs> and Quincy is also curious, which is again, like, dude, it's none of your business. Why do you, who cares? Who, who do you, why do you care who texted Torres? Right. But again, it's, it's like, he's got to know everything. He just can't stop himself again, a cute little brother. And he's like, is it my old man? And he's like, if it's my old man, if he's looking for me, tell him I'm not, which is interesting that, you know, would he like contact Torah when he's trying to get a hold of Quincy? Like he doesn't communicate with his own son. Yeah. It's it, again, that we're getting lots of clues as to the lack of relationship that Quincy and Vincent have. 
Because that's very telling to me. Like, even if you had a chance to connect with him, you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And he calls him the old man also, uh-huh. which I to me is like a little disrespectful. You know, yeah, distancing himself. It's not it's not something you say about someone you love. I think, I don't know, maybe it's just because I never, this wasn't a term that was used in my, in my family, it would be considered like horribly disrespectful. Right. But I don't know, it might not be that way in every situation, every, every family or culture or whatever. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, and, you know, he's so, he's so curious. He just like looks over his shoulder, like no privacy <laughs> at all. Typical little brother. <laughs> What are you doing? Who are you talking to? Who is it? Oh, it's the chick. Who's the chick? Is she in the clan? <laughs> He's such a little brother. I can't. I can't stand it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And Poppy tells him, you know, we see we know it's Poppy. Hello, is this Tora? I'm the girl from Chevy's restaurant. You're past your business card to me just now. I was just wondering. And you know, she's very, very hesitant in her in her manner. And you know, 520 is the first message. 522 is the second message. Yeah. <laughs> and well, we'll see in the next episode what comes next. But even her text is like, very hesitant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's she's very careful about what she's wanting to say. And I mean, I get it. I mean, I would be nervous texting some like, no joke, supremely hot dude that also <laughs> I'm a little bit scared of. <laughs> Like, what do you say to a guy like that? How, how do you start a conversation with a guy like that? Um, yay for text messaging, because back when I was growing up, phone conversation? Oh, God, no. Oh, God. Uh, just hide yeah. me under the, the earth, swallow me whole, because no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. Text conversation is so much easier because you get to... Uh, at least, you know, seem witty if you get enough time to compose your message carefully, right. which no chance in person, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can read your emotions. Your emotions are not so easily readable. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're on the phone, you need a voice, like you have to instantly react and you're, you know, you have to either be a really good actor and on the spot or just your emotions are out there. Yep. Most definitely. So I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> guys, this was an amazing so there was like a lot of insights that i didn't realize before so thank you so so much for coming on I, i'm really blown away I, I just love love this conversation absolutely i i didn't think it was you know when when i first looked at the episode um and i was like why did i pick this one so much and i was like wait a second we get some really good juicy quincy and torah time and um you know it just it really brought a lot to the table in terms of their relationship and and how each of them relate to other people and themselves. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It kind of provides a lot of background on the, on the characters and mm-hmm. um, you know, some exposition, but primarily it's just a sort of deep dive into who are these people that um, you know, the, the comics trying to make us care about, you know, Most definitely. Yeah, they definitely succeeded. I'm sure you were the only one in love with Quincy in this episode. Yes. I, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Quincy. So I'm just hoping Lily won't break my heart. But she probably will because she enjoys my tears. <laughs> it's sadists all the way down. <laughs> we all have a little bit of that in us. Well, thank you so, so much, Rebecca and Patty, for coming on. I totally look forward to speaking to you girls again. Awesome. Thank you all so much. 
Thank you. See you next time. Bye.